0: Have you ever asked yourself, who is God? I think any of us uh, who want to know some answers to life's big questions will ask that question. Who am I? Who is God? Why am I here? Where do I come from? Where am I going? I had the opportunity back in seminary to take a semester class called The Doctrine of God from now Bishop Barron. It was Father Barron and it was all about the Holy Trinity. So we had 15 weeks of classes three times a week to talk about who is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And some of it can get pretty technical, and some can say, well, it's just a mystery. But let's look at this mystery of the Trinity, if you will, and try to see who is God, and who are we in the light of that answer? Let's look. Let's look at history a little bit. The history of salvation. Just a, a sweeping glance of the of the scriptures. At the very beginning of time, in the scriptures, we have the story of creation, and we have God speaking the word. And who do we know becomes the word made flesh? Of course, is Jesus. So the, God speaks, and things happen. We also hear the breath of God. This ruah kind of hovering over the waters as the waters are formed. And so from the very beginning, we see the Holy Trinity in action, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but we don't know him in those terms then. Throughout the Old Testament, God sends prophets and kings and and judges to try to guide his people because God loves them. I am your God and you are my people. But what do we know happens? They kept killing the prophets, they disregarded the judges, the kings. And so God thought, I'll send them my son. I'll send the word and it will become flesh and dwell among my people. And of course, that's what we celebrate on, on Christmas, the birth of Jesus. I just got back from the Holy Land this week and was able to celebrate mass and in some incredible sites. One of them was at the Church of the Nativity where the word became flesh and you talk about powerful experience i'll talk more about the holy land as we go jesus walked our walk he talked our, our talk he lived our lives in everything but sin and then of course we know they didn't treat him too well either and so they crucified jesus and what happened imagine being one of his closest followers peter You know, the first among the apostles denied Christ three times around the praetorium thinking, gosh, if this is happening to our leader, what's going to happen to us? Why do we believe that Jesus is God? I think it's because of the resurrection. But why do we believe even in the resurrection? It's looking at what happened to those apostles who were scared and then went and gave their lives for Christ. They gathered in the upper room, and Jesus appeared among them, and he says, Shalom Aleichem, peace be with you. Thomas, you can touch the wounds in my side, the nail marks in my hands. This is real. I was dead, and now I'm alive. And those men went from being scared to going out and giving their lives. Everyone died a martyr's death except John, who died a normal uh, death of of old age. I always say this. Would you give your lives for something that you weren't sure about? I know I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet my life that the Cubs will win the World Series this summer. (laughs) Love to see it happen. It's less than a 50-50 proposition. No way would I bet my life on that. But I have and will continue to bet my life that he's the Son of God, that he's the second person in the Holy Trinity, the same word that created the universe, walked among us and lived our lives and died our death. A little side story with this. Just on Monday, I had mass in the tomb where they laid Jesus. It's always the third time I've had the opportunity to do this. And you talk about a close moment to Christ. In the tomb, only four people fit, and then the rest of the group was outside the, uh, the tomb, and there were 53 of us. And I remember as I walked outside the tomb after the consecration, the doorway is about this high, just like a cave. And as I came out, there was Maria, 14-year-old daughter of one of our uh, pilgrims. Their whole family came, it was a family of seven. And as I gave her communion, I could see tears in her eyes. And after Mass, we were reflecting on the graces, and she said, you know, when you came out of the tomb, it was like I was reflecting that Jesus had gone into that tomb dead, but he came out of the tomb alive and resurrected and came out in the Eucharist. And she said, I felt like Mary Magdalene because she was the first to see Jesus alive. And I said, how old are you? (laughs) 14 years old to have that kind of theological reflection, incredible. But she believed. And I believe that God called me to be a Catholic priest is to help Catholics realize, do you believe and do you really appreciate the gifts that you have in this church, especially the gift of the sacraments and Jesus in the Eucharist, body, blood, soul, and divinity? Do you believe that that's him? And of course, Jesus after the resurrection walked the earth for 40 days revealing himself saying, I'm alive, and then he ascended into heaven. But before he ascended into heaven, they wanted to hold on to him and say, stay with us, we need you here. And Jesus says, you don't want me to stay here because unless I return to the Father, we cannot send our Holy Spirit. And you're gonna want that Holy Spirit because you've seen the things I've done. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, you're gonna be able to do the things I've done and even greater things Do you believe that? That the Holy Spirit that lives inside of each one of us through the power of our baptisms is the same Holy Spirit that hovered over the waters at the creation of of the world, the same Holy Spirit that the Father and Son sent to be with us. Bishop Barron told us in that seminary class that the Holy Trinity is God the Father is the lover, Jesus is the beloved, and the Holy Spirit is the love between the Father and the Son. St. John tells us repeatedly in Scripture that God is love. And the whole story of, of, of salvation, the whole story in Scripture, is a story of love. God reaching out to me and you to say, he says, I want you to participate in this divine love. Two years ago, I had the opportunity to attend a, a retreat called Healing the Whole Person in uh, Tallahassee. It's from the John Paul II Healing Institute. And one of the things they they did at the retreat was they invited three people up, I'm not gonna ask for volunteers today, but invited three people up to image the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, honestly, inside I'm thinking, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. And so the three people kind of formed this, this circle, They you know, grasp each other's arms. And then they invited someone else from the retreat to go inside the circle. And I'm thinking, what am I getting into here? It wasn't me that went up there because I thought it was dumb. But the person goes inside the circle, and we just watched. And after a few minutes, they they separated, and we started to reflect on the experience. And the person that went into the circle uh, among the Holy Trinity said... I've never felt so safe, protected, and loved in my life. And we started to reflect that these were just three human beings. Imagine what that's like being in the center of the Holy Trinity, which is the goal of the Christian life. It's the goal of our our prayer life. And what I thought was the dumbest thing in the world now has become a part of my daily prayer life. As I imagine myself in prayer, I image myself in the middle of the Holy Trinity, that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are embracing me in this embrace of love, and I don't want to leave there. And it doesn't just have to happen in prayer, but it can happen throughout our days. Even in the most mundane tasks of life, you could be washing dishes, you know, doing your, paying your bills, but interiorly, we can be praying and being immersed in the love of the Holy Trinity. That's the desire of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we know that we're loved, that we know that we are his beloved sons and daughters. If you see the Trinity in action in in the scriptures, think about the baptism of the Lord. Jesus walks into the water, John's baptizing a bunch of people, and John sees Jesus and thinks, I think we should switch here, and Jesus says, go along with it. And as John baptizes Jesus, what happens? The heaven's open the voice of the father says this is my beloved son father and son in whom i'm well pleased and what happens the holy spirit descends like a dove upon the Son. the holy trinity is there if you think about why was jesus crucified it wasn't because he was a good teacher or a prophet it was because they thought he blasphemed because he said the father and i are what we're one we're one to the ears of a Jew, that's that's blasphemy, because, because God is one. God is not three, according to the Jewish faith. What separates Christianity from the Jewish faith and from the Muslim faith is that we believe that God is one person, but uh, one God, but in three persons. It's blasphemy. The Father and I are one. And Jesus tells the paralytic. Remember the four people who who uh, brought their friend to Jesus. They dug a hole through Peter's roof to get them to Jesus. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you. And everybody thought, only God can forgive sins. That's right, (laughs) because Jesus is God. Do we understand completely how this can happen? God is one, but in three persons? No, but it's real. God loves us and he comes to us in these three persons. And so he invites us into his divine life. He invites us every time we come to mass, you may say, gosh, this is so boring. Why do I come to mass every week? It's because here the Holy Trinity invites us into their embrace. Jesus offers himself on this altar as the greatest act of love in the history of salvation. As a human being, but also God. Our God, the one who created the universe, died for you. What does that do in your heart? What stirs in your heart as you reflect on that message? God died for you on the cross. He invites us to a response. We can walk away and say, hey, that baseball game's more important. I've done that before in my life, and now I realize how small I was thinking. Do I still love sports? Yes, but nothing and no one can compare to the God of the universe. Nothing and no one can give me the peace and joy that God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit can do. And we have the opportunity now. Since the Holy Spirit descended on those apostles over 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit still you know, hovers over our earth, lives within each one of us. And we have the opportunity, as Jesus says today, the Spirit will guide you to all truth. Do you want to know truth? Ask for the Holy Spirit to guide you. He will guide you to all truth. The world says there's no objective truth. The world says that it's all relative. Your truth and my truth, it's all the same. The Holy Spirit says... There is truth, there's beauty, and there's love, and it all comes from him. So let us prepare our hearts today. Let us reflect on this great mystery of the Holy Trinity. It's not just some theological construct that is hard to understand, but it's a reality that one person of that trinity lives within us. The second person of the Holy Trinity is going to become present to us in the Eucharist through the power of the Holy Spirit. And God is reaching out to touch us through these sacraments. Every time we receive a sacrament, it's God saying, You're mine. I love you. I showed it on the cross. You don't have to raise your hands, but do you believe in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist? Statistics say that even among Catholics, uh, the number is very small. I think God has called me to be a Catholic priest to help people who've grown up in this church to appreciate the incredible gift of the Eucharist, Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity. Most of you know my story, I, I received my first communion, I say by accident, as a high school junior, But it was no accident because that encounter with the Lord through the Eucharist is what inspired me to join the Catholic Church. Nine years later, at the age of 27, as I started to go to Eucharistic adoration with my girlfriend at the time, it was in that adoration and that silence that I started to hear God's call to be a priest. I was ordained June 1st, 2002, and guess what the feast day was on June 2nd? My first mass right here in this church was Corpus Christi, body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. And it's what sustains me as a priest that every day I get to celebrate this great miracle that happens before our eyes. But our bodily senses deceive us. And if you're like me, I tend to be a skeptic by nature, and I want people to prove it to me that that's more than just bread and wine. So why do we believe that this is truly the body and blood of Christ? A little bit of his history. We heard the first reading today from Genesis. We have this kind of mysterious figure called Melchizedek. In Hebrew, that means king of righteousness. And he's the king of which town but Salem, which comes from the word Shalom, which means peace. interestingly, the king of peace. And Abraham has just come back from battle. And what does the priest Melchizedek bring as an offering? But bread and wine. Sound familiar? And we, we sang in the Psalm today, you're a priest forever in the line of Melchizedek. We, we don't know the, the origin or the end of Melchizedek. So he's kind of this symbol of Jesus being this priest forever. We hear in the second reading from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, which was probably written about 20 years before the Gospels. So this is the earliest recording that we have of the Eucharist. And Paul is saying that Jesus himself said as he took the bread, he says, this is my body. Now, when Jesus says something, it happens. He's the word of God. And when when the word of God spoke in Genesis, what happened, things were created. And so when Jesus says, this is my body, it's his body. When he says, this is the cup of my blood, it's the cup of his blood. And then we go to John chapter six, probably my favorite chapter in scripture. Four times Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And he had gathered a lot of followers. They loved the miracles. They loved his preaching and teaching. But they said, you're getting a little crazy here. This sounds like cannibalism. And they started to walk away. And what Jesus did not say is really important. What he did not say was, come on back, I'm just kidding, it's a metaphor, it's a symbol. He didn't say that. And he risked losing all of his followers for this teaching. And he looked at the 12 who remained and he said, will you leave me too? In other words, he's saying, I know this is hard to understand. You're not going to understand you know, the whole theology of transubstantiation, but do you trust me? And Peter speaks up for the apostles and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of everlasting life. In other words, I don't get this completely, but I trust you. And if you say it is, I'm all in. The Lord looks at us today, too, and he says, do you trust me? Do you believe that miracles are possible? For most of us, it's easy to believe that God became man in this human being, this little baby in Bethlehem. Why can't he become present in the form of bread and wine here in the Eucharist at Mass? More things that are not coincidental. Bethlehem. In Hebrew, Bethlehem means house of bread. In Arabic, I just learned this in the Holy Land last week, Arabic, Bethlehem means House of flesh. Isn't that interesting? That his the bread becomes flesh. Bethlehem means both house of bread and house of flesh. Where is Jesus born? But in a feeding trough, in a town called house of bread and house of flesh. And so from his very birth, he's showing that I've come to be food for the life of the world. None of this is accidental. And then the passion. We know when it happened, that it happened on the Passover. Let's look a little bit at the history of the Passover. What, is, what were they celebrating at Passover but their exodus from Egypt into the Holy Land? And what they did was they gathered the unblemished lamb, they sacrificed it, they ate his flesh, and then they put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost so that the angel of death would pass over their house, so that they would be saved. We eat his flesh. We don't put his blood on the doorpost, but we drink his blood as a sign that we belong to him. And it harkens back to John 6, where he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. This is our saving meal. And so he was sacrificed on Passover. Interestingly, another thing I learned in the Holy Land was when shepherds find an unblemished lamb, what do they do? But they gather it in their arms. They wrap it in swaddling clothes to protect it. So when a first century Jew heard that Jesus was wrapped in swaddling clothes, something was saying, oh, my gosh, he's the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And in this gospel today, Jesus is handing on to us the priest to continue to celebrate this sacred liturgy, this sacred meal. It's a story of the feeding of 5,000, you know, and, and the, his followers are saying, we need to send everybody out to go get food because all we have are five loaves and two fish. What does Jesus say to them? You give them something to eat. What he was saying is, I want you as my priests. I'm gonna be leaving here soon. <laughs> I'm not gonna leave you alone and I want you to feed my people. And then, on that holy Thursday night, he celebrated the Last Supper. This is my body given up for you. This is my blood poured out for you. And even in this story of the feeding of 5,000, he took the fish and the loaves. He blessed them, he broke them, and he gave them away. Sound familiar? In just a few minutes at this altar, I'm gonna take the gifts that come from all of you, bless them, break them, give them away and there were 12 wicker baskets full after they all fed on these five loaves and two fish god's love is abundant and overwhelming and it's more than we can possibly take in one of my good friends father Dennis Spees, always says receiving god's grace is like drinking from a fire hose (laughs) it's impossible it's overwhelming and it's abundant jesus on this altar is both the priest which is the one who offers the sacrifice and he's the victim he's the lamb of god it's the only time this has ever happened where someone is both the priest and the sacrifice only god can do that and he did it for us the last thing i'll share that convinces me that this is true are the eucharistic miracles If you haven't heard of these, I encourage you to go home and Google Eucharistic miracles. When I share these stories, people say, why don't we hear about this? Because over the last 2,000 years, at different times in different places around the world, as priests are consecrating the bread and wine, often priests who themselves are doubting the real presence, the bread and wine turn into actual flesh and blood. Scientifically proven by scientists who aren't even Catholic and don't even know what's going on, They say that's flesh of the human heart, and that's type AB blood. Interestingly, the same blood type happens every time, and it's the same blood type that they found on the Shroud of Turin. Coincidence? I think not. So, my brothers and sisters, the Lord invites us to trust, He invites us to faith. Before He ascended into heaven, He said, I will never leave you alone. And this is one of the greatest ways he does it. Through the priesthood, he becomes present to us on this altar. He's present in every tabernacle and every Catholic church around the world. And it's what's different from any other religion in the world. And it's what drew me as this Protestant baseball player into the Catholic church. It's because of this gift. He looks at us as he looked at his 12, as people walked away, and he said, Will you leave me too? Brothers and sisters, we know our church isn't perfect, but there's no other place that you can find Jesus in the Eucharist. Let us give thanks for Eucharist means Thanksgiving. You don't have to raise your hands, but do you believe in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist? Statistics say that even among Catholics, uh, the number is very small. I think God has called me to be a Catholic priest, to help people who've grown up in this church to appreciate the incredible gift of the Eucharist, Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity. Most of you know my story. I I received my first communion, I say by accident, as a high school junior, but it was no accident because that encounter with the Lord through the Eucharist is what inspired me to join the Catholic Church. Nine years later, at the age of 27, as I started to go to Eucharistic adoration with my girlfriend at the time, it was in that adoration and that silence that I started to hear God's call to be a priest. I was ordained June 1st, 2002, and guess what the feast day was on June 2nd? My first mass right here in this church was Corpus Christi, Body, Blood, Soul, and Divinity of Christ. And it's what sustains me as a priest that every day I get to celebrate this great miracle that happens before our eyes. But our bodily senses deceive us. And if you're like me, I tend to be a skeptic by nature, and I want people to prove it to me that that's more than just bread and wine. So why do we believe that this is truly the body and blood of Christ? A little bit of his history, We heard the first reading today from Genesis. We have this kind of mysterious figure called Melchizedek. In Hebrew, that means king of righteousness. And he's the king of which town but Salem, which comes from the word shalom, which means peace. interestingly, the king of peace. And Abraham has just come back from battle. And what does the priest Melchizedek bring as an offering but bread and wine? Sound familiar? And we we sang in the psalm today, You are a priest forever in the line of Melchizedek. We, we don't know the, the origin or the end of Melchizedek, so he's kind of this symbol of Jesus being this priest forever. We hear in the second reading from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, which was probably written about 20 years before the Gospels. So this is the earliest recording that we have of the Eucharist. And Paul is saying that Jesus himself said as he took the bread, he says, this is my body. Now, when Jesus says something, it happens. He's the word of God, and when when the word of God spoke in Genesis, what happened, things were created. And so when Jesus says, this is my body, it's his body. When he says, this is the cup of my blood, it's the cup of his blood. And then we go to John chapter six, probably my favorite chapter in scripture. Four times Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And he had gathered a lot of followers. They loved the miracles. They loved his preaching and teaching. But they said, you're getting a little crazy here. This sounds like cannibalism. And they started to walk away. And what Jesus did not say is really important. What he did not say was, come on back. I'm just kidding. It's a metaphor. It's a symbol. He didn't say that. And he risked losing all of his followers for this teaching. And he looked at the 12 who remained and he said, will you leave me too? In other words, he's saying, I know this is hard to understand. You're not going to understand, you know, the whole theology of transubstantiation, but do you trust me? And Peter speaks up for the apostles and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of everlasting life. In other words, I don't get this completely, but I trust you. And if you say it is, I'm all in. The Lord looks at us today too. And he says, do you trust me? Do you believe that miracles are possible? For most of us, it's easy to believe that God became man in this human being, in this little baby in Bethlehem. Why can't he become present in the form of bread and wine here in the Eucharist at Mass? More things that are not coincidental. Bethlehem. In Hebrew, Bethlehem means house of bread. In Arabic, I just learned this in the Holy Land last week, Arabic, Bethlehem means House of Flesh. Isn't that interesting that his the bread becomes flesh? Bethlehem means both House of Bread and House of Flesh. Where is Jesus born? But in a feeding trough, in a town called House of Bread and House of Flesh. And so from his very birth, he's showing that I've come to be food for the life of the world. None of this is accidental. And then the Passion. We know when it happened, that it happened on the Passover. Let's look a little bit at the history of the Passover. What is What were they celebrating at Passover but their exodus from Egypt into the Holy Land? And what they did was they gathered the unblemished lamb, they sacrificed it, they ate his flesh, and then they put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost so that the angel of death would pass over their house so that they would be saved. We eat his flesh. We don't put his blood on the doorpost, but we drink his blood as a sign that we belong to him. And it harkens back to John 6 where he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. This is our saving meal. And so he was sacrificed on Passover. Interestingly, another thing I learned in the Holy Land was when shepherds find an unblemished lamb, what do they do? but they gather it in their arms, they wrap it in swaddling clothes to protect it. So when a first century Jew heard that Jesus was wrapped in swaddling clothes, something was saying, oh my gosh, he's the lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And in this gospel today, Jesus is handing on to us the priest to continue to celebrate this sacred liturgy, this sacred meal. It's a story of the feeding of 5,000, you know, and and his followers are saying, we need to send everybody out to go get food because all we have are five loaves and two fish. What does Jesus say to them? You give them something to eat. What he was saying is, I want you as my priest. I'm gonna be leaving here soon. (laughs) I'm not gonna leave you alone, and I want you to feed my people. And then, on that holy Thursday night, he celebrated the Last Supper. This is my body given up for you. This is my blood poured out for you. And even in this story of the feeding of 5,000, he took the fish and the loaves. He blessed them, he broke them, and he gave them away. Sound familiar? In just a few minutes at this altar, I'm gonna take the gifts that come from all of you, bless them, break them, and give them away and there were 12 wicker baskets full after they all fed on these five loaves and two fish god's love is abundant and overwhelming and it's more than we can possibly take in one of my good friends father dennis Spees, always says receiving god's grace is like drinking from a fire hose <laughs> it's impossible it's overwhelming and it's abundant jesus on this altar is both the priest, which is the one who offers the sacrifice, and he's the victim, he's the Lamb of God. It's the only time this has ever happened where someone is both the priest and the sacrifice. Only God can do that, and he did it for us. The last thing I'll share that convinces me that this is true are the Eucharistic miracles. If you haven't heard of these, I encourage you to go home and Google Eucharistic Miracles. When I share these stories, people say, why don't we hear about this? Because over the last 2,000 years, at different times in different places around the world, as priests are consecrating the bread and wine, often priests who themselves are doubting the real presence, the bread and wine turn into actual flesh and blood, scientifically proven by scientists who aren't even Catholic and don't even know what's going on They say that's flesh of the human heart, and that's type AB blood. Interestingly, the same blood type happens every time, and it's the same blood type that they found on the Shroud of Turin. Coincidence? I think not. So, my brothers and sisters, the Lord invites us to trust, He invites us to faith. Before He ascended into heaven, He said, I will never leave you alone. And this is one of the greatest ways he does it. Through the priesthood, he becomes present to us on this altar. He's present in every tabernacle and every Catholic church around the world. And it's what's different from any other religion in the world. And it's what drew me as this Protestant baseball player into the Catholic church. It's because of this gift. He looks at us as he looked at his 12, as people walked away, and he said, Will you leave me too? Brothers and sisters, we know our church isn't perfect, but there's no other place that you can find Jesus in the Eucharist. Let us give thanks, for Eucharist means Thanksgiving. You don't have to raise your hands, but do you believe in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist? Statistics say that even among Catholics, uh, the number is very small. I think God has called me to be a Catholic priest, to help people who've grown up in this church to appreciate the incredible gift of the Eucharist, Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity. Most of you know my story. I I received my first communion, I say by accident, as a high school junior, but it was no accident because that encounter with the Lord through the Eucharist is what inspired me to join the Catholic Church. Nine years later, at the age of 27, as I started to go to Eucharistic adoration with my girlfriend at the time, it was in that adoration and that silence that I started to hear God's call to be a priest. I was ordained June 1st, 2002, and guess what the feast day was on June 2nd? My first mass right here in this church was Corpus Christi, Body, Blood, Soul, and Divinity of Christ. And it's what sustains me as a priest that every day I get to celebrate this great miracle that happens before our eyes. But our bodily senses deceive us. And if you're like me, I tend to be a skeptic by nature, and I want people to prove it to me that that's more than just bread and wine. So why do we believe that this is truly the body and blood of Christ? A little bit of his history. We heard the first reading today from Genesis. We have this kind of mysterious figure called Melchizedek. In Hebrew, that means king of righteousness. And he's the king of which town but Salem, which comes from the word shalom, which means peace. Interestingly, the king of peace. And Abraham has just come back from battle. And what does the priest Melchizedek bring as an offering but bread and wine? Sound familiar? And we, we sing in the psalm today, you're a priest forever in the light of Melchizedek. We, we don't know the, the origin or the end of Melchizedek, so he's kind of this symbol of Jesus being this priest forever. We hear in the second reading from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, which was probably written about 20 years before the Gospels. So this is the earliest recording that we have of the Eucharist. And Paul is saying, that Jesus himself said as he took the bread, he says, this is my body. Now when Jesus says something, it happens. He's the word of God and when when the word of God spoke in Genesis, what happened, things were created. And so when Jesus says, this is my body, it's his body. When he says, this is the cup of my blood, it's the cup of his blood. And then we go to John chapter six, probably my favorite chapter in scripture. Four times, Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And he had gathered a lot of followers. They loved the miracles. They loved his preaching and teaching. But they said, you're getting a little crazy here. This sounds like cannibalism. And they started to walk away. And what Jesus did not say is really important. What he did not say was, Come on back i'm just kidding it's a metaphor it's a symbol he didn't say that and he risked losing all of his followers for this teaching and he looked at the 12 who remained and he said will you leave me too in other words he's saying i know this is hard to understand you're not going to understand you know the whole theology of transubstantiation but do you trust me And Peter speaks up for the apostles and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of everlasting life. In other words, I don't get this completely, but I trust you. And if you say it is, I'm all in. The Lord looks at us today too and he says, Do you trust me? Do you believe that miracles are possible? For most of us, it's easy to believe that God became man in this human being, this little baby in Bethlehem. Why can't he become present in the form of bread and wine here in the Eucharist at Mass? More things that are not coincidental. Bethlehem. In Hebrew, Bethlehem means house of bread. In Arabic, I just learned this in the Holy Land last week, Arabic, Bethlehem means house of flesh." Isn't that interesting that his the bread becomes flesh? Bethlehem means both house of bread and house of flesh. Where is Jesus born? But in a feeding trough in a town called house of bread and house of flesh. And so from his very birth, he's showing that I've come to be food for the life of the world. None of this is accidental. And then the passion We know when it happened, that it happened on the Passover. Let's look a little bit at the history of the Passover. What what were they celebrating at Passover but their exodus from Egypt into the Holy Land? And what they did was they gathered the unblemished lamb, they sacrificed it, they ate his flesh, and then they put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost so that the angel of death would pass over their house so that they would be saved. We eat his flesh. We don't put his blood on the doorpost, but we drink his blood as a sign that we belong to him. And it harkens back to John six where he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. This is our saving meal. And so he was sacrificed on Passover. Interestingly, another thing I learned in the Holy Land was when shepherds find an unblemished lamb, what do they do? but they gather it in their arms, they wrap it in swaddling clothes to protect it. So when a first century Jew heard that Jesus was wrapped in swaddling clothes, something was saying, oh my gosh, he's the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And in this gospel today, Jesus is handing on to us the priest to continue to celebrate this sacred liturgy, this sacred meal. It's a story of the feeding of 5,000, you know, and and his followers are saying, we need to send everybody out to go get food because all we have are five loaves and two fish. What does Jesus say to them? You give them something to eat. What he was saying is, I want you as my priests. I'm gonna be leaving here soon. (laughs) I'm not gonna leave you alone, and I want you to feed my people. And then, on that Holy Thursday night, he celebrated the Last Supper. This is my body given up for you. This is my blood poured out for you. And even in this story of the feeding of 5,000, he took the fish and the loaves. He blessed them, he broke them, and he gave them away. Sound familiar? In just a few minutes at this altar, I'm gonna take the gifts that come from all of you, bless them, break them, and give them away. And there were 12 wicker baskets full after they all fed on these five loaves and two fish. God's love is abundant and overwhelming, and it's more than we can possibly take in. One of my good friends, Father Dennis Spees, always says, receiving God's grace is like drinking from a fire hose. (laughs) It's impossible, it's overwhelming, and it's abundant. Jesus, on this altar, is both the priest, which is the one who offers the sacrifice, and he's the victim. He's the Lamb of God. It's the only time this has ever happened where someone is both the priest and the sacrifice. Only God can do that, and he did it for us. The last thing I'll share that convinces me that this is true are the Eucharistic miracles. If you haven't heard of these, I encourage you to go home and Google Eucharistic miracles. When I share these stories, people say, why don't we hear about this? Because over the last 2,000 years, at different times in different places around the world, as priests are consecrating the bread and wine, often priests who themselves are doubting the real presence, the bread and wine turn into actual flesh and blood. Scientifically proven by scientists who aren't even Catholic and don't even know what's going on, They say, that's flesh of the human heart, and that's type AB blood. Interestingly, the same blood type happens every time, and it's the same blood type that they found on the Shroud of Turin. Coincidence? I think not. So my brothers and sisters, the Lord invites us to trust. He invites us to faith. Before he ascended into heaven, he said, I will never leave you alone. And this is one of the greatest ways he does it. Through the priesthood, he becomes present to us on this altar. He's present in every tabernacle and every Catholic church around the world. And it's what's different from any other religion in the world. And it's what drew me as this Protestant baseball player into the Catholic church. It's because of this gift. He looks at us as he looked at his 12, as people walked away and he said, Will you leave me too? Brothers and sisters, we know our church isn't perfect, but there's no other place that you can find Jesus in the Eucharist. Let us give thanks, for Eucharist means Thanksgiving.